from Sterling Cooper Draper Price. Duda, duda. It's the IGN Digigods. Now please welcome two madmen, Wade Major and Mark Kaiser. Oh, yes, we're mad. Corey, who sent that in? That was brought to you by Chevelle Dixon. For all your Chevelling needs and Dixoning needs. <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's Corey taking off from last week's joke. See, we had Lance Taylor last week for all your tailoring needs and your Lansing needs. And then that was, we recorded that at the same time, so there was a... You mean Corey wasn't live saying that right now? <laughs> Wade, you are so enamored of those pretzel chips. I, I am. You. I'm totally. I'm <laughs> but you know what? And by the way, I, I made ice cream. You made ice cream? Yes. And you're making me eat pretzel crisps when there's I'm, ice cream? Well, I'm trying to get rid of those. Would you like some ice cream? I love some ice cream. Because ice cream goes really well with pretzel crisps. <laughs> so what you're saying is you don't want any of my ice cream. These are quite good. I mean, you think it, your pretzel, I deli made, style. I mean, oh, what? as opposed to what? <laughs> I know. I made vanilla bean ice cream and I made chocolate sorbet. Mmm. Oh, I have some chocolate sorbet. What, what, what do you have? What's the other one? I made vanilla bean ice cream and then I made chocolate sorbet. I don't understand how chocolate sorbet even exists. Doesn't it become chocolate ice cream at that point? No, because there, there's, there's no dairy. All right, whatever. Sounds weird. Then I won't give you any. I'll have some. <laughs> okay. All right. So. You really want some? Yeah, why not? I'll have to, well, hang on. i got to take it out of the freezer. I have to defrost it. It's, it's going to be a little frozen. You know what I'm going to do then while you're doing that? I'm going to fly through some KidVid. Thank God, because yes. I have no interest in KidVid. Not having kids. All right. From ARC. The good people at ARC. Adventure Planet. Um, one of those uh, DVD and voodoo digital copy deals. CGI animation. Not very good. Uh, but some good voice casting. So I, w- I would say, you know, this is, this is one of those... Um, for some reason, everybody seems to think that, they, that all... This is ever since Madagascar. All of these animated films try to have some kind of a human animal. Uh, the the humans invade the savage world. The, the savage natural world invades the human world. Angle to it. I, I don't know. It's it's something that seems to infect a lot of these movies. I'm not quite sure why they all do it, but anyway. Uh, this is another one of those, and I'd say it's it's perfectly uh, serviceable for small children. Once you get a little bit older, children they're not going to really particularly like it. But Adventure Planet does feature some really really good voice casting, including Brooke Shield, Jane Lynch, and uh, Bailey Madison uh, do some lovely work here. So uh, for for small small children, I think it's probably a little more uh, a little more acceptable. Uh, hey Arnold, the complete series from Nickelodeon. Arnold I never particularly cared for. He's got a stranger head than Stewie. And, uh, you know, not my, not my flavor, but I, this is from Shot Factory. They've released the complete series, all 99 episodes, 16 discs in two cases. And uh, that's obviously going to be uh, great news to people who love this show. And there are a fair number of them. Um, you know, again, Arnold always freaked me out a little bit. The animation was a little bit tweaked, but uh, that's a really, really nice set. It's, it's hefty and heavy and uh, sturdy, which is all you want. And then my favorite, which my daughter can't get enough of, is Peppa Pig. We have the second Peppa Pig DVD that's been released. This is 12 more episodes, or shall we say Peppasodes, uh, a British series that was uh, aired here and is still aired on Nick Jr. And this is uh, The Balloon Ride, which is the name of one of the episodes that anchors this. But uh, there are some other really, really fun episodes on here. George's Birthday is great. Ice Skating is great. Painting is great. Uh, Daddy's Movie Camera. 
fantastic, and Dr. Hamster's tortoise is hysterical. So, uh, you also get a very hot day, George catches a cold, a lot of good stuff on here. Uh, Peppa Pig, one of my favorites, can't get enough of Peppa. Peppa Pig, Daddy Pig, Mommy Pig, George Pig. You know, one of the funniest things on Peppa Pig is that Miss Rabbit does all the jobs. Every, every job. Like when they go to the movie theater, Miss Rabbit is running the ticket booth. If they go to the ice cream store, Miss Rabbit runs the ice cream store. If they, if they call the fire department, Miss Rabbit runs the fire department. It's great. I'm gonna, you know what? Even if I never have kids, I'm going to watch that. Of course you are. Just because I'm sure it's hilarious. You know, uh, better than average animation. And this is one of those things that could have gotten a theatrical release. I'm a little bit surprised it didn't. This is also from ARC. Is uh, Justin and the Knights of Valor. Uh, this is really pretty good animation, i got to admit. Uh, this is, like, good enough to, to have been feature release up there with, you know, uh, Brave and, uh, you know, How to Train Your Dragon and all that kind of stuff. Compares very, very favorably with all those films. Antonio Banderas, uh, along with Freddie Highmore, uh, Mark Strong, Alfred Molina, Charles Dance... Julie Walters, Olivia Williams, Rupert Everett. Uh, I mean, this is a gr- David Williams. David Williams, right? From uh, a Little Britain. Uh, I mean, some really, really great voice casting on here. It's kind of the usual fairy tale thing. Uh, very much a, um, uh, a King Arthurian kind of story, but um, I, it's 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 a lot of fun. It's well written. It's well directed, and I don't quite know why this. Uh, didn't get better exposure theatrically. It's uh, it's a good one. It's just a good one. So uh, this has that family-approved seal that usually scares me to death, but in this case it doesn't. Very inspired by Disney, I have to say. You look at this and you're like, every, all the character modeling and the animal modeling, especially the animals, like the horses, is like is straight-up Disney. So they, they definitely borrow a lot from Disney, but that's on Blu-ray and well worth the purchase for your kids. Um, DVD and book combination from Scholastic, The Magic School Bus takes a dive. Which is where I always thought the magic school bus belonged in the water, in the tank. Uh, the, anyway, the scholastic stuff is always really, really good, especially when the kids are going back to school. This helps kind of transition them from uh, summertime fun to uh, appreciating learning again. And it's very, very well done. This uh, series has won a lot of Emmys, and uh, I would recommend this for parents who just want to make their lives a little bit easier. I still think Adventure Time is freaky, but uh, Princess Day is the latest Adventure Time release, 16 episodes from the Cartoon Network series that continues to creep me out. Uh, I hear it's well-written, but I just, I cannot get past the animation. It's just incredibly wrong. I have developed a very strange affection for Bubble Guppies, thanks to my daughter. Uh, The Bubble Guppies, every so often, will sing a little song on Nick Jr. in between breaks uh, during Peppa Pig. And they're cute. They have big heads, and they're all like little mermen and mermaids, and they have little fins, and they dance, and they sing cool poppy songs, and I like them. So this is Bubble Guppies, Get Ready for School. Uh, You even get a pencil case in this one. So it's really trying to bribe the kids into getting ready for school. Bubble Guppies are awesome. Mark, you're not a Bubble Guppy fan, I take. I'm not. But I am reading all about Gabe Kaplan right now, because we're going to talk about... uh, Yes, we are. Welcome back. Uh, My Little Pony, Friendship is Magic. We're going to talk more about this as we go on. We have a documentary that dovetails with this. Um, My Little Pony Friendship is Magic is, of course, the latest incarnation in the My Little Pony saga, which is some 20-some-odd years old. And uh, it's the usual thing, you know? It's all those colorful rainbow and candy-colored ponies and their various adventures and being friends in Ponyville and so forth and so on. I do not appreciate this, which means I'm not a brony, and I'm sure Mark appreciates that. 
but there it is. So you uh, you get even more episodes on this uh, this latest release. Uh, Shima Chi Tribes and Betrayals, the uh, the Lego series, ten episodes and two discs. Um, not something that I I really understand. I you know don't get the whole Lego animated world. It, I don't understand how little bricks have become like an animation bonanza, but maybe somebody can explain it to me one time. Sophia the First, I'm developing an affinity for. This is from Disney Junior. And um, this is actually not a bad show. I'm really sort of learning to, uh, learning to enjoy it. Uh, it's, it. It means to sort of um, bring the whole world of the princesses to, uh, to television. And uh, as exploitative as that sounds... It's actually very clever, and it's really well animated. Some of the best animation you'll see on television, and Disney does a really good job with it. And in this one, you get uh, five episodes, including The Enchanted Feast, The Buttercups, Great Ant Venture, and Two Princesses and a Baby. And uh, this is one of the best things that Disney has ever done for television. I'll say that right now. So this is Sophia the First, uh, The Enchanted Feast, Royal Reflections, with a special appearance by Snow White. Mm-hmm. Do you know that? Snow White is like special guest star. Yeah, great. You okay, Mark? You hanging in there? I'm waiting for Kidvin to be over. Got my ice cream? Uh, it's, it's A, it's sorbet, and B, okay. it's defrosting. Okay. It's fine. Whatever it is. Sorbet, ice cream, what, as long as it's chocolate and it's cold and it's wet. Do we understand? Do you understand? Chocolate, cold, wet. That's okay. what I want. Then, you know what? Then maybe I'll just give you a Yoo-Hoo. A Yoo-Hoo Whatever. is chocolate, want, cold, and wet. I want chocolate, cold, and, and wet. Uh, Transformers Cybertron, the complete series. Uh, I don't know how well this will do. It's pretty much like every other Transformers series. Uh, it's obviously better animated because this one gets this one's more CGI. Uh, but I, I don't know. Uh, you know, 52 episodes. Uh, they're still Transformers. They're still destroying things. It's kind of the same drill. Um, some great stuff from uh, public television. The, uh, the PBS Kids deal which includes uh, Caillou and uh, Arthur and Daniel uh, from Daniel Tiger's Neighborhood. Uh, the Daniel one is maybe the best of these. The animation is just lovely. It's really well drawn. Daniel tries something new. Eight uh, episodes there. Caillou, fun and games with Caillou. Uh, also really good. And Arthur goes back to school. There's a theme there, Mark. All the kids are going back to school, and all these things are to... Yeah, that sucks, because that means there's more traffic. Coax them back to school. Yeah, but the, the, but the tourists go away. No, I think that the that the school buses and the, the minivans and the SUVs and the, and the rushing moms. Yeah, maybe. I think they outnumber the tourists. And then also one of my favorites is uh, Peep in the Big Wide World from public television as well. Not not necessarily a PBS Kids thing, but also a public television thing. I I, I wouldn't have, I don't think I've liked Peep in the past, but my daughter seems to enjoy the little birds and the way they bounce around and squawk and make noises and look silly. And so as a result, I enjoy them too. Um, you learn you learn a lot of things here, uh, but mostly you just learn that birds are silly looking and they uh, they they don't have bodies; they're just heads with legs. And then, lastly, on the kid vid is Geronimo Stilton going down to Chinatown and other adventures. Uh, Geronimo Stilton, yes. Oh, there it is. Mmm, yummy. So, uh, anyway, this is from uh, REI Fiction, and uh, Geronimo Stilton, you know, it's the whole, it's a, it's a, they're, they're mice, basically. It's a whole mouse world, and, uh, you know, he's cool, and he's hip, and what do you want? Uh, so, all right, there we go. That's the kid vid. Mark, we're done with kid vid. And you're not even ready. See, this is what happens. Well, anyway, for the rest of the show today, we've got a ton of television. 
uh, British television and foreign television, if we're able to get to it. And then uh, we got a few uh, few classic titles and only a few new titles to talk about this week. Uh, but let's try to burn through some television first, Mark. Do us the honor. Welcome back, Cotter. Was one of my favorite shows as a kid yeah. because it was all about high school, and uh, John Travolta was in it, yep. and Up Your Nose with a Rubber Hose. And Gabe Kaplan, um, I was complete reading series, a, man. Complete series on. I wish it was on Blu-ray. Oh, 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 oh. That's right. Oh, um, Gabe Kaplan obviously left the show, and he became a champion poker player. Uh huh. He's been a champion poker player for like thirty years, and he's like sixty-nine years old now. So but weird. Um, huh? So weird. Why don't you say how good that that this is? That good or not? Well, I was talking about this. What? Your your. No, your, you weren't. You were talking about Welcome Back, Cotter. What? Okay, maybe I was. Okay, this so, is weird too. Really? Well, it's good. It's just weird because it's not ice cream. It's sorbet. I don't really uh, understand. Now I have to try it. Let's, let, let, let's be silent for two seconds okay. while I try this. Mm. And then you try it too. It's good. Chocolatey. It's wet. It's cold. It's so chocolatey. Uh-huh. How rich is that? It's rich. Come on. It's nice. You really don't like this? I do. Okay. You're fired. It's very good. Anyway, welcome back Cotter Complete Series. Obviously, like most series, it goes up and down. In uh, inspiration, first season's the best, and then it kind of becomes, you know, average to above average kind of all the way through. The best bonus feature is the um, screen test from the actors. That's a lot of fun. Anyway, there you go. Welcome back, Cotter. 95 episodes on uh, DVD. This was back in the day. This is the thing where most of the laughs on a lot of these sitcoms, from the 70s in particular, most of the laughs came from cast members doing their shtick. Doing the same thing week in and week out. You don't have that anymore. Where Horshack puts his arm up, oh, 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 oh. And that gets a laugh every week. The same thing. Mel, kiss my grits, gets a laugh every week. What you talking about, Willis, gets a laugh every week. People like wait for it. Nobody does that anymore in sitcoms. There are no like lines, there's no more shtick. No more catchphrases? No more catchphrases. It's very sad. I think Seinfeld had like the. You know, not that there's anything wrong with that. I think Seinfeld. Yeah, yeah, the last. yeah. I'm not even sure if Friends had any catchphrases. No, not really. All right. We should probably. Oh yeah, Friends to... did. What is it, Joey? How you doing? Eh, did that Kinda, really uh, capture of. the cultural imagination? Not really. No. No. The Normal Heart uh, from HBO Films. I like this a lot. This is with um, Mark Ruffalo, Julia Roberts. Uh, Julia Roberts, I felt like was trying to win an Emmy. Anyway, this is about the uh, the beginnings of the AIDS crisis in New York. This is based on Larry Kramer play, and I like this film a lot. I'll tell you why I like it a lot. Um, the movie is surprisingly very, at least at the beginning, if not throughout, very tough on the gay community because the movie, and again, because it was written by Larry Kramer, who there's there is permission yeah, to be to get away with being tough on the gay yeah. community because in the beginning of the film. Nobody wanted to believe that there was any sort of a crisis, and the fact is, is that at the time, at least the characters portrayed in, in the in the play and the movie, felt that they were defined by their sexuality. Like you know, damn right we want to have sex with men. Of course, that's what we're all about. That's what we love to do. You know, which now would seem very politically incorrect or seem very shallow or one dimensional the way to portray gays like that. But that's how the community saw saw themselves. Yeah. You know, was that good, Wade? It was good. So it was good, man. It was um, so the movie is pretty tough on the gay community and the fact that they had to stop 
just worrying about who, who they can have sex with and worry about this impending epidemic. Uh, and so Mark Ruffalo is terrific, and the movie puts him through the ringer. And Ryan Murphy, who's gay, he directed it and does a great job. I was a little worried that he would really be super melodramatic, and there are times when it gets to be a, a little florid, but ultimately, I think he does the story a lot of justice. So The Normal Heart has been um, bandied about as a potential film for many, many years. Now they've finally done it. I think they did a terrific job. Uh, the uh, Blu-ray includes a uh, behind-the-scenes look at the, uh, at the story that inspired the movie and some interviews with Larry Kramer and Mark Ruffalo and Julie Roberts. So uh, it's good stuff. Normal Heart. Good deal. <clears throat> uh, Portlandia is, is a uh, cult show on IFC. Um, this is season Fred Armisen. Season four, two disc set. This, of course, is in uh, is, is in uh, you know Portland appropriate uh, uh, hi- eco packaging, hippie eco packaging. Yeah. And uh, <clears throat> the show is this is a real cult hit. It's a real cult feeling show. It's uh, got a lot of funny stuff in it, and I can see how you know it's a show that you don't really expect it to get super duper ratings. But as long as it maintains some sort of cultural currency, uh, as long as it's funny, as long as the critics like it. As long as it's well-respected as a cult thing, I think it'll just continue for as long as they want it to. Probably. So we have 10 episodes, season four, good stuff, Fred Armiston, Portlandia. All right. Uh, let me get into some of this other stuff here. we got a Twilight Zone, and we got a Gilligan's Planet. Now, this is not your, uh, this is not your mom, mom and pop's Gilligan or Twilight Zone. This is the Twilight Zone from the 1980s, when they resurrected it in the 1980s very unsuccessfully. Uh, and I, I gotta be honest, man. This is like this is thirteen DVDs, and not one of them is worth a single episode from the original series. It's so bad. It's really not good. It's just strange, and it, it you you can tell it's just it it ran for four years though. This thing ran for four years. I mean, they got you know a lot of episodes out of this, and they got a lot of great writers to work on this too. I mean, there are great people in this, like Helen Mirren is in here, Bruce Willis. And Arthur C. Clarke and Ray Bradbury and Wes Craven, they all, they, I mean, these guys, like, all participated in this. But somehow, it just doesn't, it doesn't feel up to snuff. It feels like everybody's just kind of going through the motions. I mean, there are maybe, there are maybe five or six episodes where you're like, well, that was really interesting. That would have been a great night gallery, or that would have been a great Outer Limits. But there's nothing here that feels like it really should be Twilight Zone. And I've, I've thought about this a lot, and I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that it's, it, it needs to be black and white. Twilight Zone needs to be black and white. It just there's an otherworldliness about it that it just doesn't work otherwise. Wait, I realize what the issue is with the is? Uh, with the sorbet. What is it? Okay, the flavor is delicious. Yes. However, I made the I made the I made not the custard. There's no dairy in it, but I made the uh, the base, mm. and then you have to refrigerate the base for a couple hours. Yeah. I refrigerated the base for like 14 hours overnight because I went out last night. Okay. So because the base was like already super chilled, if not already coagulating. The result, consistency-wise, not as smooth. A little icy, not as smooth. Okay. But chocolatey. But the taste is really good. But not out there. All right. Nobody cares. I don't care. So anyway, that's the uh, Twilight Zone from the 80s. I will say the, uh, the one thing that I actually enjoyed in this was Jenny Agutter. Logan's Run. Yeah, and that's just because I just love Ginny Agutter. And the, uh, the episode is um, uh, Voices in the Earth. 
and uh, that, I don't really even care what it's about. It's just got Jenny Agutter in it, and uh, you know, there's just not enough Jenny Agutter in the world. I'll just say that. She was in, um, uh, I think she was in Captain America Winter Soldier. Was she in that? She was she in one of those. She played the um, eh, Winter Soldier. Boy, she, that's right. No, she, you know, you know there was this, um, in the movie, there's like this shadowy, only seen sure. in a hologram. Yeah. It, over overlords of the yeah. government, whatever. There's like three of them. She's one of them. Pretty great. Yeah, she's one of them. Well, moving on, because I just, I can't talk about Jenny Agutter without kind of breaking into tears and sweat. Uh, the complete series of Gilligan's Planet from uh, the war- people at Warner Archive, uh, warnerarchive.com. Gilligan's Planet was the uh, animated version of Gilligan's Island uh, that took them into space. And uh, it's just absolutely bizarre. Uh, the idea is that they got off of the island in a little spaceship and uh, wound up getting lost in, on a planet. Now, I know that is as insane and stupid as that sounds. That is exactly the plot of the, uh, of the animated show. And uh, all the original people... Uh, came back and did the did the voices here, except of course for uh, for Ginger. But it just it's weird. Now, Double. can I say something about Gilligan's Planet? Yeah. Now, when I was very very young, I watched Gilligan's Planet because I love Gilligan's Island and anything with Gilligan Island it's, on it, I figured it was fine and it had all the original voices. But you know what? Even at like whatever five years old, even though I love Gilligan's Island, even though I love seeing the characters, I loved hearing the voices. Even yeah. I knew. Yeah, this crap. show was really stupid and just horrible. It just, but it was it was beyond that. It was like you watch it and you just think, how did this even make it out? I mean, at the time I was a little kid and I, and I was thinking, how did this make it out of development? No, you were not a little kid saying how did it make it out of development. No, I was. I was. I was a teenager, <laughs> but but it it sounded funny. Okay, uh, now and again is uh, a show that lasted about eighteen seconds, and uh, Glenn Gordon Karen uh, created this show. Uh, it only had it la- less than a season, and uh, Karen, of course, is the guy who created you know Remington Steel and uh, and Moonlighting, and uh, you know used to be a, a real heavy hitter in television. Um, this is not the kind of thing that he should necessarily be doing. Uh, he's kind of trying to get into JJ territory with this thing, uh, you know, with with, with uh, you know, like uh, like a, it's sort of a superhero spy thing, right? The government creates like this super guy, and um, it uh, it I don't know. It's not really it's it, genre stuff is not his thing. Spy stuff and superhero stuff and comic stuff is not his thing, and uh, it. It, you, like he gives it a good shot, but it just never feels like the like anyone involved in this show is really invested in it. It's almost like they just think that they can you know just make it weird and mysterious and uh, leave a lot of questions unanswered, and suddenly it'll become like lost. But anyway, the the, the thing is very short lived. It has something of a kind of minor uh, cult following, and you you do get a roundtable discussion with uh, Karen and his fellow writers, and a little four part documentary on uh, on the making of the thing, cast and crew interviews, and it's. You know, for people who are fans of it, I guess it's fine, but it, uh, it ain't great. Uh, let's see. We've got uh, Elementary, the second season, uh, which, you know, another one. This is perfectly acceptable television now uh, for what passes for television today. Uh, Lucy Liu is, is always solid. Johnny Lee Miller, it's nice to see him doing something again, even if it is television. Um, it, it, I, for this kind of a thing, I still much prefer the, uh, the Benedict Cumberbatch Sherlock. 
if we're going to do kind of a, uh, an, a revisionist take on Sherlock Holmes, uh, this one is a little bit a little bit too cute, a little too clever. You know, Lucy Liu plays Watson. Uh, Jonathan Miller plays essentially Sherlock Holmes, and but it it never it's like they've taken it too far away from Conan Doyle. So it suddenly it feels completely uprooted and it, and it's just too clever for its own good. So I would say stick with Sherlock uh, for a much better uh, angle on that. And then uh, Criminal Minds. Can you believe this has gone nine seasons? Who watches this show? Uh, it's, I mean, it, look, it's solid. It sticks with all of those procedurals, all of those kind of profile shows. There's a lot of this stuff, you know, whether it's NCIS or uh, CSI or, you know, uh, whatever it is, Law & Order. All those things, they're kind of all in the same vein, and they all sort of have the same tone. And, uh, you know, this one has a really good cast. And, and I guess writers who've got the formula down, but... You know, again, it's 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 pretty much by the book. Nine seasons, and I guess that's why people watch it. Once you get addicted to the cast, you tune in each week to see them do their thing. But anyway, that's uh, there. It is. Uh, I get some commentaries and some gag reel stuff and some uh, deleted scenes, and that's the ninth season of Criminal Minds. Oh wait, we have season four of Boardwalk Empire. Exciting stuff. Um, now I don't have HBO, so I have to watch these things on uh, Blu-ray. Yeah. But. Um, but uh, did I like this season? Um, obviously, I like the first season better than uh, better than the subsequent seasons. Although this season, um, Jeffrey Wright, who everything with Jeffrey Wright in it is automatically good because I love Jeffrey Wright. He's awesome. And uh, also, um, Ron Livingston is in this season too. I, I'm not a big fan of him. He just he seems like a weird like light comedy guy. I, I can't really take Ron, that guy Ron, seriously. Yeah, you, you know, Ron Livingston needs to just just do Office Space sequels. <laughs> he really should. That's well, all he should I do. I love that. Um, and I, I, I noticed that Bobby Cannavale is not in the season. Um, anyway, the final season of the show is uh, premiering uh, in a few weeks. And this one has uh, plenty of audio commentary, six of them, in fact. You know, um, some of the directors here are kind of interesting. Uh, Tim Van Patten, brother yeah, of Dick Van Patten, sure. he directs him on the show. And also um, uh, Jake Paltrow, Gwyneth Paltrow's oh, Gwyneth brother. Gwyneth Paltrow's brother, sure. Directs uh, an episode in this season. Nice. So um, yeah, I mean it's 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 a good show. Um, I think that the wrap up, which starts in a few weeks, will be gangbusters. Sure. Right now the show is in kind of that you know calm before the storm moment. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it's good stuff. Boardwalk Empire. I like the show. Sweet. Uh, Revolution. Final season. Of Revolution. We were talking about Jeez, the JJ thank, Abrams before, and this is another goodness. JJ show that uh, didn't quite really. This never felt right. It never really. It, f- it felt forced. Reached it? escape velocity. It felt. It felt like uh, oh, we did Lost. What are we going to do for an encore? I know. We'll do Revolution. You know what? It was one of those things where everything JJ does is fantastic. Let's just green light it. Yeah. You know, you can almost see JJ in the room pitching it. You see, there's no power. And it's like we're living in the dark ages, and it's like it's, it's crazy. It's like Lord of the Flies. Oh my god! I and they just bought it on the they 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 saw lights and their stars in their eyes because JJ was in the room pitching it. Yeah, I would love for JJ to, to go to them and to, like I would love for JJ to pitch something like Downton Abbey. Okay, it takes place in in Victorian England. Oh, and aliens? No, there's no aliens and monsters. No monsters. Is there like a like a zombie? No zombies. No, it's just it's straight. It's Victorian England, and we're gonna we're just gonna do it straight, and we're gonna uh, we're gonna cast British actors that you've never heard of, and we're we're gonna spend ten million dollars per episode, and uh, and and you're gonna like it. They wouldn't do it, would they? No, because because JJ yeah. J- is a fanboy, and people yeah. want. I know they want him to to get his Comic Con on. Anyway, uh, the blacklist. 
season one. This thing is a uh, uh, like just short of a phenomenon for NBC. This mm-hmm. kind of came out of nowhere. What's interesting about some of these shows, like this show and uh, True Detective, is that they're run by these showrunners who have like no experience doing stuff like this. It's kind of weird, right? You know, it's like the guy who did True Detective. He was like this bartender in New Jersey who just has real literary aspirations, and he just wound up selling the show, and it wound up being True Detective. Wild, you know. And this one is uh, John. Bakken camp, some guy who wrote a couple bad movies, and then suddenly the guy's like the king of television. You know, now he can do whatever he wants. Strange. So James Spader stars in The Blacklist. The first complete season is on Blu-ray. Um, we do have a uh, commentary on the pilot episode from him, and we have a couple of uh, Blu-ray exclusives, including a making of the pilot and character dossiers, which are always stupid. But uh, this stars uh, James Spader, and he's been on the FBI Most Wanted list for uh, a long, long time, and then he winds up uh, brokering a deal with the government to um, go ahead and... Uh, Chase after the bad guys, being himself a bad guy. So uh, we got this thing, uh, Ninja Turtles, the next mutal, the next mutation. Uh, now that the Ninja Turtle movie is out, and uh, you know everything this summer, everything has opened big, if it opened at all, and then it just fizzled the next week. Nothing you know, has staying power this it, summer. It really made me angry that. Teenage Mutant Turtles did so well because because I mean too. come on yeah. do we really need you do, uh, folks as a society no do we really need another seven you you have now literally greenlit four sequels to Teenage Mutant Turtles like we need that come on guys well can we at least like you know can we at least just save our money for the ones that might be good this, uh, this don't just see something because like I, TV I commercials know. tell you you should see it. This is this is this is from the only live action Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle series that has ever been. The others are all animated. They they did this very short lived live action epi- series that has crossover episodes with uh, the Power Rangers, and both of those crossover episodes are on here. And I'll just say that it's bad enough when you watch the Ninja Turtles when you see them crossing over with Power Rangers. It just makes you want to cry. It makes it truly feels like the end of civilization as we know it. Uh, Friendly Fire is a, is a fascinating thing from Scorpion releasing, which of course is a new, uh, new line that's uh, coming out through Kino. Friendly Fire was this really, really highly rated uh, 1979 television film with Carol Burnett. And uh, based on a true story of these, uh, these parents who are trying to get to the bottom of the, 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 what happened to their son in Vietnam when he was, uh, it turns out he was killed by Friendly Fire. And uh, it, it, Carol Burnett received rave reviews. Sam Waterston got rave reviews. Timothy Hutton as well. But Carol Burnett really got rave reviews for this thing. And Ned Beatty plays her husband. And uh, it, it, it holds up, man. I'll tell you, it really, really holds up. Uh, all these years later, you watch it and you think, that doesn't feel like a cheesy 70s television movie. That just feels like a really intense drama. Uh, and I wish television were more like that these days. I wish movies were more like that. So, Friendly Fire out on DVD uh, once uh, again. I think it was out very, very briefly, probably 15, 16 years ago. But uh, anyway, it's out again. And then Parks and Recreation Season 6, which uh, leads into what is going to be the final season, uh, this forthcoming season. And uh, this gets you all caught up in all the shenanigans and makes you wonder, what is Amy Poehler going to do when she doesn't have her show anymore? Is she going to do more movies? I hope so. I certainly hope so. Uh, but everybody involved in this show is going on to bigger and better things. Rob Lowe obviously never worries, has to worry about working. Uh, Rashida Jones is doing movies, and Aubrey Plaza is doing movies, and Chris Pratt, cool, he's, he, you know, he's... He's going to do you know, 19 more Guardians of the Galaxy movies. So um, this show is ending at a, exactly the right time. And um, 
pretty funny show, but still feels kind of, you know, derivative of The Office to me. Uh, Californication, uh, its final season on Showtime, is now out on DVD. And uh, this is a, uh, you know, a, a show I've never completely understood, but I like David Duchovny and um, always happy for his success. But I would like to see him do more movies. So uh, he was always a producer on this thing. It has now come to an end. Please step away from television, David Duchovny, and do more movies. This has uh, um, some uh, PC eBridge technology features on it that lets you unlock all these, uh, these bonuses. And I, for the life of me, could not figure out how that's supposed to work. So, uh, you know, there you go. Uh, it is what it is. Uh, Newhart, the complete fourth season, is available on uh, DVD. Now, as you know, the Bob Newhart show is available in a series DVD set. Yes. This, of course, is the follow-up series, uh, Newhart, where he plays a hotel owner. Uh, this thing, um, you know, it aired in the mid-'80s, and it is really only notable because, A, it wasn't that bad. Obviously, I love the Newhart show, Bob Newhart show when I was growing up. I love that show. Um, this show I got less into. Um, I don't really care about, like, a hotel owner. Um, but it did have one of the great uh, movie a movie did have one of the great sitcom endings of all time, which uh, we'll be seeing soon enough when they release that season set. Uh, until then, we have twenty four episodes of Newhart season four. This is a you know again I dipped in and out of it, but it was it was a cute show. But I, I love the Bob Newhart show too much to really invest in this one. Next, we have a this is a Walmart exclusive. So when you go in there and get your uh, twenty eight cent uh, wool caps for the uh, for the wintertime, you can also pick up um, Walker, Texas Ranger, something in the shadows. Now, Walker, Texas Ranger is uh, one of Chuck Norris's, uh, you know, that's his big, you know, TV character. And, uh, you know, I thought the show it was never my cup of meat. I enjoy the Chuck Norris, you know, uh, the Chuck Norris, like, you know, what are those Chuck Norris, like, one-liners? Like, you know, underneath Chuck Norris's beard is another fist. Oh, yeah. Like those things? Love them. Uh, those things are absolutely hilarious best. to me. Walker, Texas Ranger, lame. But again, this is um, something that is just Walmart only. I def- a I'm not going to defend movie. it. Huh? I'm not going to defend it. Uh, something in the shadows. Yeah. Yeah, whatever. I mean, yeah. come on. It's Walker, Texas Ranger. It's Stop. Walker, Texas Ranger. But you know what? It does owe a lot to Gunsmoke. That's my segue, Mark. Wait a second. Are we about to talk about Gunsmoke? We're going to talk about Gunsmoke, the 10th season. Which, uh, you know, roughly gets us about, what, uh, 10% of the way through the Gunsmoke uh, saga? Uh, tenth season, volume one and two, out uh, hopefully together. They they were sent to us separately. I hope they're packaged together because we everybody knows how we absolutely hate this uh, volume one, volume two stuff. But uh, seasons were long back in the day, and uh, so I mean each each half season is you know roughly the size of a season would be today, especially on on cable. But uh, you know Gunsmoke in its tenth season, it's doing the same thing. Marshall, Matt, Dillon, James Arness doing his thing. And the, the, the nice thing about these shows is watching the guest stars, who basically is everybody who wound up being anybody in movies or television shows up at some point on, on Gunsmoke and Bonanza. And um, just sort of enjoying the way the, the whole thing kind of moseys along. It's just well shot, and everybody knows their characters, and everybody's really just... It, it's just it's a it's a finely tuned machine, and it re- makes you realize how good TV was back then. Uh, each half of the season actually is eighteen episodes, so it's the thirty-six season episode, and it makes you think back. It's like thirty-six episodes. They did thirty-six hours of television in one season. I mean, that's intense. 
And they're editing, they're editing by hand. And in Mad Men, they do like eight. Or like Sopranos would do like eight, and then they would come I mean, back in another just, 18 months for God, another this six. Like machine. I mean, we have not evolved. We really haven't. We, it's like we've yeah, lost the Yeah, you know what? Well, come on. Honestly, tell me you wouldn't take one episode of like Mad Men over like Gunsmoke. Hell Is no. Gunsmoke really that great? I mean, maybe it's cheesy. Maybe there's some good stuff in it. Maybe it's nostalgic. I didn't mean cheesy. I meant like nostalgic. Better than NCIS. Well, that's true. The 11th season. Well, that's true. Uh, how does NCIS last for 11 seasons? Same, same way, I guess, that Criminal Minds lasts for nine, I guess. Anyway, I like Mark Harmon. I, I like the, the general idea of NCIS. I mean, but it's still just another one of these procedural shows. And after 11 seasons, is it doing anything different from any of the others? I don't think so. Uh, lots of little uh, featurettes here. Uh, but otherwise, really, the only reason to watch this is, is Mark Harmon. That's the, there's just nothing else that holds this, holds this ship together. It's I, Mark Harmon, and, and, and I want to say that Mark Harmon, who has who has remained, you know, a, 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 a gorgeous man into his early sixties. He is a gorgeous man. He's married to Pam Dauber. Yes, he is. Who was Mindy in Mork and Mindy? That's right. Starring the late, still lamented, who straight up walked away from Mork and Mindy. Isn't that amazing? I know. Yeah, crazy. And then, as long as we're on uh, the subject of NCIS, uh, we have NCIS Los Angeles, which is now in its fifth season. And uh, the only reason this exists is, is so that people can watch LL Cool J and uh, and Robin, um, which I guess I guess makes LL Cool J Batman, right? Chris O'Donnell, of course, and LL Cool J in NCIS Los Angeles. Uh, not as interesting as the original NCIS, but they have a certain chemistry and they, they hold it together. And uh, it's otherwise pretty much the same deal. I, I'm, I'm still just not... I'm, the one of these that I thought would last is the one that didn't, which was Law & Order Los Angeles. I really thought that had, a, that had a thing going. Was that the one with LL Cool J? No, this is the one with LL Cool J. Oh. Law & Order Los Angeles. Oh, Law & Order Los Angeles. I was saying Law & Order Los Angeles. You know, there's you know I, I, saw, I, I saw the billboard for um, I saw the billboard for NCIS uh, New Orleans, yes, which is the new version, and it was very strange because you know NCIS you know they're very serious yeah. and they're trying to solve solve whatever yeah. crimes. The billboard for um, NCIS New Orleans, yeah. was the big logo. Oh, it's a series NCIS New Orleans, and everybody and there were there were four people, the four leads including Scott Bakula were in the uh, in the poster, in the the outdoor ad. And they all had smiles. They were all smiling. Wow. Were, like it was a sitcom. And I had to look at it again. I was like, is that NCIS? Like, you know, heavy crimes and people being murdered and whatever. Yeah, I mean, I know New Orleans is a fun town, but, I mean, is this, like this going to be like a lighthearted take on the NCIS franchise? Because why are they smiling? Uh, it was bizarre. Yeah. Thank you. Right. Speaking of bizarre, uh, Top Gear is in its uh, 21st um, Season, or as they say across the pond, series. Um, this show just keeps going. I do like this show, I guess. I mean, you know, when, when they test drive the really cool exotic cars that you know, you'll never get anywhere, I, I do like that. I don't necessarily need to see, like, the little lipstick cam they have in the passenger seat that shows me, woo, oh, my God, what a turn. I mean, that <laughs> kind of gets crazy. That gets ridiculous after a while. But um, here they did uh, profile some great cars. They, uh, there was a McLaren. I think it's the P1. They did a McLaren that was pretty great. That thing is freaking fast. And the six-wheeled Mercedes, they test drove that like in the desert. And it was a six-wheeled Mercedes, and it was absolutely awesome. And, uh, and here, by the way, they also go to Burma, which was a fun episode. Uh, so there's Top Gear 21, if you love Top Gear. So much better than the American, American show. It's yeah. just so much better. It's just the, I mean, Jeremy Clarkson cannot be replaced. The guy just makes me laugh. 
He does. He just makes me laugh. He's just, he's just one of the, I, like, I could spend a day. I, there are very few people on television where I think I would love to just hang out with that guy or that woman for a day. Very, 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 very few. Jeremy Clarkson, I would like to spend a week with that dude. Seriously. I'd just like to let me just tag along. Hear what you say, drive around in cars with you. I'd have a blast. I would. Uh, who else? How about now? Would you rather hang out with him or Captain Kirk? Uh, oh, William Shatner for sure. As Captain Kirk, like uh, the actual, not not Shatner as Kirk, but like Captain Kirk. No, I'd just like to hang out with Shatner. Just just to have him just be the Shat, you know. He's just, the best. just just do his do his thing. Just like drop lines from from you know, be be Denny Crane, be T.J. Hooker, be William Shatner, be be all those guys. Just do that. Just do that thing that he does. I would have a blast. Uh, Good Wife, season five. This is a um, this is a show that got off to a great start, and then uh, you know it, uh, it was okay. But then there was this real adrenaline shot where there was the death of a major character, which put everybody, you know, just on their ass. They couldn't believe that this major character had died, and now the show is kind of a little bit back. I mean, it doesn't really have the cachet or the cultural conversation worth of like Scandal. But uh, still, the show on CBS is uh, doing pretty well. Juliana Margulies, you know, we thought maybe after ER she would never find anything in film and maybe never find much in TV that would be worthy of her. But she's taken this thing and, uh, you know, knocked out of the park. So we have six discs, 22 episodes. This is on uh, DVD. And, uh, yep, so there's deleted scenes. There's a gag reel. So it's good stuff. If you like the show, obviously you may want to check this out because you're a, you're a completist. But... Um, yeah, good stuff. Season five of The Good Wife. I mean, I never truly got into the show all that much just because it's kind of like I'm not really into the scandal and that kind of stuff. But uh, still, it is a good show, and it's good to see uh, Julian Margulies back. So The uh, the Walking Dead, the complete fourth season, uh, was sent to us with the, the this monstrous Tree Walker limited edition Blu-ray, which, uh, you know, has a whole, like, just twisted sculpture in it and uh, it's meant for people who are really really hardcore meaning our, our good friend and announcer uh, Corey who loves the show and I, I'm sure would, would find all kinds of places uh, to put the tree walker in his, uh, in his place but uh, otherwise the show itself comes loaded with lots of uh, outstanding picture and sound quality I mean it's a First rate show, it really is, and tons of great stuff on it, uh, featurettes and, uh, and all kinds of goodies. Um, but here's the thing, is the walk, I, tell me I'm crazy that I just don't understand why people want to watch a zombie series week in and week out. You know, I, I, you know what, I have to say this, I tried to watch Walking Dead, I thought it was boring. I, I want more love, zombies running around. People love the show, they but do. It's, I don't get it's it. the same thing every week to me. Every every single episode just strike. I mean, I, I get it. It's like really well done. It's really well shot. It's high quality. They just they work it. It's it, it legitimizes the zombie genre in ways that it's never been legitimized. But I don't. I still kind of don't understand what makes it interesting season after season. Anyway, this is the fourth season. It keeps on trucking, and uh, I guess that's a that's a. It's credit to Frank Darabont for, for you know, making that somehow happen. Um, anyway, in this case, the uh, executive producer and showrunner is Scott Gimple, who I believe replaced Darabont, right? Is that is that how that happened? Yeah, Darabont exited the show, and people were very worried that it, the original inspiration yeah. would exit, and then the show would die quality-wise. And then in the end, it wound up uh, being kind of a kind phenomenon. Of a good, kind of a good thing. Yeah, yeah it was a phenomenon. Anyway. 
All right, so uh, yeah, if you want the the nasty little uh, tree walker sculpture, go ahead and get that uh, special tree walker Blu-ray set. But otherwise, you just regular Blu-ray for the fourth season of uh, The Walking Dead. And yes. uh, oh, wait, let, let me tell yeah. you something. That's uh, the end of our television, our, our domestic television there, and then we'll try to. Well, we should do some new movies. I think we should. Yeah. Uh, Wade, uh, there was a show in the early '80s called Wizards and Warriors. Now, this thing only lasted oh, gosh, uh, like eight that. episodes. And it, you know what? It was sort of one of those weird little shows that America didn't know what to make out of. It was oh, uh, it was kind of a fantasy show, but it was kind of a comedy show. It was written by this guy Don Rio, who wrote for a bunch of um, sitcoms. Actually, he he's written for Two and a Half Men, so the guy's got a real pedigree. And you know what? Most of the episodes were directed by Bill Bixby. So now you're really talking back in the day. Really? Yep. Seriously? Bill Bixby. Oh my gosh. Crazy. Um, so I just think that the show, and I barely remember it, and I was watching it, and I have to say that uh, it's cute for what it is. I think it one. It's one of those shows where it probably needed another half a season to figure out what it was, and it never really got that chance. So uh, Wizards and Warriors now only exists as a uh, eight episode artifact of the uh, of early eighty CBS uh, television programming. So I can't imagine anybody who would ever want to rent this or buy this. But um, there you go. And the cast is not even much of a cast. I mean, Jeff Conaway's in it. And Julia Duffy, oh, the, that's it. Oh, the late Jeff Conaway. That's true. Now, lastly, in the domestic TV front, we have the, another truly terrible show, which was um, Beyond Westworld. Now, you know. Oh, my gosh. Now, we're obviously, you know, HBO is redoing Westworld. I know. Right? I Scott don't know Anthony why, Hopkins but... is uh, the main guy. Yeah. And I think, isn't J.J. involved in that? I don't know. Don't care. So Westworld, I loved. You were rather in the original when Richard Benjamin. Like I, I realize now what weird casting Richard Benjamin was in that movie because he's such, yeah. he's such a dork. Anyway, Westworld loved it. The sequel to Westworld, Future World, stupid. Yeah. Right. Now, of course, they decided to put it on TV, and it became Beyond Westworld, oh, where you get the androids actually escape the you know the amusement park confines, and they go off into the you know regular population. And, uh, yeah, so, and they want to, you know, take over the world. So we have Connie Selica, who was one of my I great, my great 80s crushes. Sure. Delicious. Should love we, Connie we, Selica. I think we were all, we were all so happy when she divorced Gil Gerard because we thought, oh, finally, Buck Rogers is out of the way. I got a shot. And then she married uh, John Tesh and everyone kind of thought, uh, John Tesh, so cheesy. Really? Yeah. Terrible. Anyway, this show sucked. So beyond Westworld, I, I would pass on. I mean, maybe when, you know what, when Westworld comes out, the, the HBO show, if you love oh, it and you become man. a Westworld completist, I guess you can check it out, but otherwise, no reason to. All right. So uh, there's a new movie out, which I am there's a huge... a movie out? There's That's a unusual. new movie out. Yeah, there's a new movie out, and I'm a huge fan of it, and it's called The Love Punch. And everybody panned this movie, and I'm going to stick by it, because I think this is a really terrific film. I think it's really a lot of fun. I think everybody was really unfair to it. Nobody really quite got it. And you had to get it. You have to kind of get the director, who's Joel Hopkins. Joel Hopkins wrote it and directed it. Joel Hopkins is a director I fell in love with uh, in, uh, over a decade ago with his first film, Jump Tomorrow, which was based on his short film. Now, mind you, he's really only made three films. He made a short film in 1998 uh, out of NYU called George, or Jorge, J-O-R-G-E, which he turned into Jump Tomorrow in 2001. Which is a wonderful film. It's a little low-budget film about this, this, this immigrant guy, and he meets this you know, Hispanic woman, and there's a road trip, and it's really, really fun, and it's quirky, and it's got a kind of a, kind of a, uh, you know, a, a, a knack kind of sensibility, a little Richard Lester vibe to it. 
And then he waited seven years to make his next film, Last Chance Harvey, with uh, Emma Thompson and Dustin Hoffman, which I thought was wonderful. And uh, here he is five years later, and uh, he made The Love Punch. And so he, he works infrequently. In over a decade, he's only made three films. Um, but I think they're all good films. And The Love Punch is a caper comedy. Uh, Pierce Brosnan and Emma Thompson as a divorced couple who can't stand each other, but when his, the company, you know, they thought he'd have, the, they, they'd basically both be coasting on the, uh, the riches of his company after he sold his company. Uh, but turns out his company was, you know, sold to some kind of a French shyster who defrauded everybody, and now the money's all gone. So they have to figure out how to get their entire retirement and wealth back. And this divorced couple who can't stand each other, they have to kind of learn to live with each other again. And of course, there's a, you know, the, does the spark catch again and in late life? Will their kids be happy that they finally put it together and figure out they really love each other? Oh, of course they will. And it, yes, it gets silly. And it, it kind of waffles between those Richard Lester sensibilities that are very much a part of Joel Hopkins' uh, style and kind of a Peter Bogdanovich, what's up, Doc, nuttiness, you know, with the Ryan O'Neill and... Uh, and uh, Barbara Streisand, it has a little bit of that as well. And a fantastic supporting performance uh, from uh, the, I guess you could call them the Fred Mertz, Fred and Ethel Mertz part of this equation, the supporting couple, uh, which is uh, Celia Imrie and Timothy Spall, who are hysterical. Tim- Timothy Spall is so freaking funny. This running joke that they have where he's got this secret life that she never knew about. Absolutely a riot. So, uh, yeah, it, it, it's, I think this is a charming, wacky little film. It's a little bit off-center. You have to know that going in. And uh, as long as you know that, you'll have a lot of fun. The Love Punch winds up on the French Riviera doing a whole kind of a caper heist angle. It takes all kinds of weird left turns. I thoroughly love this movie. Only on DVD. I'm sorry it's not on Blu-ray. It should be because it's a really fun film. Uh, here's two-thirds of a movie you didn't see, which uh, two-thirds of a movie is good. I would see those two-thirds. I would bail on the final third of Trust Me which was um, directed by Clark Gregg who you guys know from uh, Agent Coulson from the Avengers uh, he plays a, um, a failed child actor who becomes the agent for, a child, act, for child actors and he winds up finding his protege the one who's going to uh, you know, get him back into the big time and it's all about this failed child actor turned child agent and uh, trying to make this girl a star so the first two thirds, pretty funny. It's got kind of that like you know, you know, bow finger thing. We're like you know these dreamers who are trying to make it in Hollywood, and they're on they're on they're all sort of on the fringes, trying to make it like bow finger. It's got that kind of cynical state and main thing where cynical producers, you know, who are tired of the business and self loathing, you know, try to stay in the game. So there's good inspirations there, and there's some funny stuff at the end. It kind of takes some pretty. Unconvincing turns, but for the first two thirds, trust me, is uh, pretty good. Clark Gregg doing a fine job of directing. Obviously, he's uh, been in enough films where he's learned from the best. Uh, I like to see him maybe tackle something with a better, more fully realized script. Maybe something that's a little less overtly cynical and uh, comedic. But uh, still, you know what? It's pretty sharp tooth. It's pretty entertaining for most of its way. Um, even if he can't necessarily, you know navigate some big tonal shifts, it's okay. There's some good writing in here. Again, especially in the first two-thirds. So Trust Me is uh, not bad. Clark Gregg. Uh, you know, Clark, Clark Gregg's an interesting guy. He's, he, he fancies himself more of a director than I think he is, but I, 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 I like him. Whoa, whoa, look yeah. at you, hater. 
Yeah. All right. Uh, some docs here. Some really good docs coming out this week. Uh, if you are a fan of Michael Kloft, Michael Kloft is the um, director who did the Goebbels experiment, or at least co-directed it. And he's been making a career doing uh, these really incisive, very focused World War II documentaries, trying to sort of illuminate aspects of World War II, particularly Nazi Germany, that uh, have sort of fallen between the cracks of other documentaries. And uh, he's doing a great job of it. Uh, there's two of them this week, both of them from First Run Features in their usual eco-packaging. The first one is called uh, The Siege of Leningrad, and he re-examines The Siege of Leningrad, which is, is just a horrific piece of history. Uh, you know, it, it, when you get into the details of it, it's not something we talk about a lot because obviously it's more of a, a German-Russian thing, and Americans tend to kind of want to focus on all the American stuff. But um, really, in a, just a, a devastating thing that happened to uh, what uh, also the city, also known as Saint Petersburg, uh, what happened to the, the the people there at the time. I mean, it it is unbelievable what what that siege created inside the city. It is unbelievable. It is inhuman. It's almost inconceivable to, to us. If we were to imagine something like that happening to an American city, it would completely change the way that we, we look at, at, at Russia in particular and their history. Uh, so anyway, he really, really goes, he talks to eyewitnesses and gets into a whole new, uh, he sort of kind of tries to reinvent our understanding of that episode and makes it vibrant and vital and really it's just, it's very effective. The other one is uh, Fuhrer Cult and Megalomania where he, um, this is... Um, uh, all about Nuremberg, and uh, which was you know supposed to be Hitler's architectural uh, champion representation of the master race and and Nazism and all of that. And uh, Nuremberg was supposed to, you know Albert Speer who who wrote uh, many many books and, and many essays about his in his part you know his his role as Hitler's architect. Uh, is featured in this, and uh, this is an examination of Nuremberg and what it represents, and uh, he gets into you know the, the 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 history of the architecture and all of that stuff, and this really 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 interesting uh, connection of architecture to ideology. So that also is uh, is a superb documentary, both of them from Michael Kloft, who is first rate. The uh, third documentary is a Brony Tale. Now, there was another documentary last year called Bronies that's about this phenomenon. This one, I actually think, is, is more enjoyable because you see it through the eyes of Ashley Ball, who's a voice artist, a Canadian voice artist. Uh, bro bronies are uh, grown middle-aged men who are big fans of My Little Pony, uh, Friendship is Magic, which we talked about earlier. These are grown men who love this animated show that is essentially and ostensibly created for little girls. And they, are, they come from all walks of life. And they are heterosexual. One of them is like he's manly and he's heterosexual and he's got like this handlebar mustache. And he, he almost threatens anyone that wants to make fun of him for liking My Little Pony. He's and, like, he will bust you up. And how many of those uh, people are married? Uh, uh, you know what? Zero. Uh, uh, oddly enough... There's a there's a husband and wife uh, therapist couple in here. They've like analyzed bronies and they try to get inside the psychology. And and it turns out their son is a brony and they're being very apologetic for him. And by the time they get to that point in the film, you're kind of like, I don't think I really trust your credibility anymore. You people are lit. You sort of have an ulterior motive here. Loser. But anyway, Ashley Ball is invited to uh, this convention, a brony convention. And she's a little bit intimidated at first. She's kind of scared. She's like, I don't know if I want to really do this. Uh, it sounds kind of weird. But she's a great voice artist. She's done tons of voices in, uh, in animated shows. And uh, she, you sort of you know, follow her 
as she goes through this process and eventually shows up and you get these grown men cheering her on as she does the voice and it's, it's a little creepy. I didn't get out... I think the movie's meant to try to help you understand that bronies are normal. Didn't really do that for me. I still think they're creepy. If they were normal, you would make a movie out of them. Uh, yeah, exactly. So they're not I, normal. I'm still creeped out by it, but I found it to be a very entertaining documentary. So there it is. All right, Mark. Uh, we, yes, ma'am. We have... Uh, not yet. Not yet. Not yet. Not yet. Uh, we've got a little bit of listener mail, which I should read, but let me, um, let me blow through the, uh, the Megahertz titles this week. We've got some good stuff from uh, Megahertz Networks, uh, who, of course, uh, MHZ does uh, some great stuff as far as getting uh, all these foreign, foreign television series, these, these foreign, foreign procedurals and detective shows out here that we've never heard of and they're better than almost all the American and British counterparts. They're really, really good. Um, we got one here, season one of The Eagle, a crime odyssey from their international mystery line. And um, uh, this is really, really great stuff. The, all this Scandinavian stuff is just, it's very, very intense and very theatrical. This is Danish and um, it's, it's really, really heavy hitting stuff. This is... Uh, uh, it's you know police procedural stuff that deals with all of this international crime in Europe, and uh, this uh, this kind of special investigative unit, and uh, it, it's it's like all the American procedurals except it just feels like a freaking movie. It feels more movie like than you know True Detective even. It's really good. Uh, Spiral we've talked about uh, in the past. They now have season four of Spiral, which uh, continues the uh, the great. You know, it's a it's a French series, and uh, it's it's sharp. It's really good. Season four is uh, is just as intense as the first three, so that is uh, that's really good. Uh, let's see, we've got uh, two sets here. Well, actually, let me go to this one. Uh, Arnie Dahl, season one of Arnie Dahl. This is from the uh, people who brought the who created uh, Beck, and uh, this is a Swedish series that is. Uh, also incredibly intense. If you like all of the um, girl with the uh, dragon tattoo stuff, totally in that vein. Uh, this stuff gets really dark and really brutal and really sketchy, but it, it's just it's completely engaging and uh, again, super super intense and cinematic. Then we have uh, the Kato Isaacson mysteries. Uh, Uni Lindell, set one and set two. There are uh, six mysteries here. And uh, this is a Norwegian series. It's uh, probably the least interesting of all of these. I just don't think I'm, I'm, I quite get the whole... I'm sure, the char- I'm sure if you grow up in the culture, the character probably means a little bit more to you. But it just, this one felt a little bit more um, ordinary. I don't know. Felt more like an American series. And then uh, six episodes in volume one of Nicolas Le Floch. And uh, this is a cool uh, period procedural in, from French television. It takes place in the 18th century based on novels by Jean-Francois Parot. And uh, I like this stuff, especially when the British do it. The period procedurals, you know, when you got like monks and uh, priests and people doing all kinds of detective work and you take all the high tech uh, like Father Dowling Mysteries yeah, well now but no when you, where you take it away from the era of forensic and investigation and all the fun tools and it's like it's very easy on Law and Order when you, you say to Ice-T uh, yeah would you would you go run a do a thing and a thing of a bob and then go to the lab and uh, get me the evidence and then he comes back and they've got all the evidence that they need it's nice when you don't have all of those crutches to lean on 
So uh, Nicolas Le Floche is uh, is great, and these are all you know mysteries. These are six mysteries where he's investigating you know 18th century stuff in the court of King Louis the Fifteenth and all this kind of stuff. And it's really fun. It's really nicely done. Really good production values. Good series. That's uh, volume one, six episodes. So, uh, Mark, shall we read uh, a few things, a few little tidbits of listener mail? I think we should. All right. It's been a while for listener it's mail. Been a, it's been a while. And by the way, send us listener mail and Vox boxes. We're starting to get some Vox boxes again. We could do with some more. We haven't had Vox boxes in a while, so get your microphones out. We know you all have them. Get your microphones out. Don't be afraid. Put your voice on it and ask us a question. Send us the audio file, godsdigigods.com. It doesn't have to be like five minutes long. It's, you know, 30 seconds, 60 seconds. It's fine. Ask, ask a question and, uh, and challenge us. And we'll throw a box box on a show. Gods at digigods.com. Roberto Rodriguez wrote and said, just wanted your opinion on uh, directors who should retire quietly or stop altogether. I'm not speaking of Zack Snyder, but more like James Cameron, Ridley Scott, Tyler Perry. Avatar was a great CGI film, but was bland in every other area. Prometheus was a mess trying to be sci-fi horror and diluted diluted the franchise even more. As for Tyler, look no further than season three, episode eight of The Boondocks, episode pause. Um, what do you think, Mark? Should Which Ridley... director should well, he was give it up? James Cameron, Ridley Scott, Tyler Perry. Ridley Scott and James Cameron are still in their peak. I mean, Ridley Scott has Exodus coming, or the, uh, the yeah, Exodus coming out, which is, like, huge. Yeah, well, but Ridley Scott, I feel like, is not running on fumes, but I feel like he's... he's... coasting on reputation? Uh, yeah. A little I, bit? I don't know how energized he is by material anymore. I don't feel like yeah. he's like, oh, my God, I must do this. I'd like to see them... I, what I wrote him back was I'd like to see them do different material. The only person I'd like to see retire is, is uh, Sean Levy. <laughs> I just want him to go away. Well, that's for the same reason you would say Zack Snyder. Yeah, but, you know, Zack Snyder's not, not going to retire. He's doing all the DC stuff now. And, but, but how about Scorsese? I mean, Scorsese... Needs he, to, he, needs, he needs to mix it up. He needs, he needs to mix to it do up. new stuff. I agree. Yeah. Anyway, uh, Eric Altieri, longtime listener, said, uh, here's a collectory question for you guys. When I buy a DVD or Blu-ray on Amazon.com, brand new, I'm never certain what will arrive. It will, will it have a cardboard sleeve or not? Do only a portion of the sets come with sleeves? Do they remove them? Any ideas? And he specifically was talking, and, and it's interesting because it's the first time I've heard about that. He said that he recently bought Captain Phillips and it came without a sleeve, but in the stores it had a sleeve. And uh, this is the first time I've ever heard of that. So I'm just wondering, is there a different s- uh, collection of stock that they provide to Amazon? Do the studios put sleeves on things for a little... You know, a little um, uh, curb appeal when they Ooh. when they go to, to Walmart or to uh, Best Buy, and then they kind of kill the sleeves when they go to Amazon because they figure people are just buying it off the site. I don't know. Do you I'm, know anything I'm, about that? I don't actually. I'm, but I'm, but which would you prefer? Would you like the sleeves? I like sleeves. I don't just mean on shirts. I mean, oh, oh, you mean on on DVDs? Yeah. Yes. Uh, I think the sleeves are cool. I think they make it feel like it's a little better than it is. You know, makes you feel like there's a little extra something, a little bit of cardboard. Yeah, you're yawning. Okay. Yeah, it's the first I've heard of it. So if any other listeners want to want to write us at uh, godsofdigigods.com or go on the Facebook page and let us know what uh, you know, if you got any insights into that, I think that's I would be intrigued to know more. Uh, and then uh, we had a couple of emails from Chevelle Dixon. Uh, he t- was first mentioning that they're doing a live action Dumbo. Uh, Thank God. That's it, what I've been waiting for. Yeah, which I just think is a horrific idea, and he, he, he concurred. He just wanted that to be on our radar, and I, I, I thank him for putting that on my radar because I can't sleep at night now. 
I just picture it like a big CGI elephant with blink with like long CGI lashes, and I just want to cry. Uh, but then he, uh, then more recently, he wrote us and he said uh, that was probably the most phallic podcast I've ever heard from all the talks about wieners. Uh, I'll admit when Wade was talking about the Twin Peaks set as a tight little package and his throat cleared, I could not stop laughing. About Get On Up, I read a story saying that Tate Taylor wanted to do an R-rated version of the movie, but Universal put it in the contract that it had to be PG-13. Had you heard about it? And it doesn't surprise me. Well, but you I, get that a lot nowadays. Yeah. The studios really want you to deliver a PG. Look, I mean, look at the Expendables, which tanked a couple weeks ago because, you know, they made it PG-13. And the thing is that the Expendables is becoming this conversation about what a sham PG-13 is. Yeah. Because the thing, literally like thousands of people die in this movie, but they die in a bloodless fashion that somehow Stupid. means you don't get an R. Yeah. It's nonsense. Uh, and Philip Vater uh, writes and says In addition to a few 50s and 60s uh, TV sitcoms Harry Morgan was also in the TV version of Dragnet With Jack Webb uh, Playing Jack Webb's partner Not a great show But uh, whatever Also Harry Morgan was in the great film Inherit the Wind uh, 1960 About the 1925 Scopes Monkey Trial Yeah, it, Harry Morgan shows up in everything, doesn't he? Uh, somewhat fictionalized But my understanding is that some of the courtroom dialogue Was taken from the actual transcript Yes, in fact, it was yes. So Harry, Harry Morgan shows up in just about everything and um, let's see, we'll do one more here, and then we'll uh, wrap out with a few classic films. Uh, Al in uh, San Francisco says, uh, thinking out loud, any buzz about a potential uh, Blu-ray release of Todd Haynes' Safe is the usual suspect criterion, even in the talks? Um, Mark, have you heard anything about Safe? I wrote him back. I, I, I think Todd Haynes is just such, a, such a, an eccentric character that I, I, don't, I, I don't think that he's even... I don't think he even cares if his stuff's on, on Blu-ray, frankly. I think he's just, you know, he's kind of an enigma. Well, I know. The thing with his, him is he's had such a strange underground indie career yeah. that I feel like he doesn't get the recognition he deserves. Yeah. You know? Because... Look, when your films are that difficult and that unique, you know, you're not going to get mainstream play except in like with art house audiences. True. So it actually would be nice if his stuff got some maybe criterion, maybe True. some criterion love. Yeah. That might, that might get his name out there a little bit better. Would, I, I would yeah. hope. I would hope. All right, let's go to some classic films. Uh, really quickly, there's a uh, trio from Kino, Kino Lorber the, as part of the Kino Lorber Studio Classics line, which we are increasingly impressed by. And uh, three really good films here. The lesser of them, although certainly not lesser in terms of cast, is Cast a Giant Shadow. Uh, cast a Giant Shadow was made in 1966 and was a really huge star vehicle uh, of the time. Uh, had cameos from, you know, John Wayne, Yul Brenner, and Frank Sinatra in it. This is another one of those uh, Mirish Company things. Uh, a lot of these Kino Lorber things, I think they cut a deal with the Mirish Company because a lot of this stuff seems to come from the Mirish Company. But this was basically a Kirk Douglas vehicle. Pulled a lot of friends into it and uh, kind of, a, kind of a, a big deal. Melvin Shavelson uh, wrote and directed it. And it is long. It's almost two and a half hours long. And it deals with the... Uh, it's very timely right now with what's going on in the Middle East, as everything always seems to be. Uh, this is about the, uh, the war for Israeli independence in the uh, late 1940s. And, uh, you know, Angie Dickinson is in this, and, you know, it's just, it's a, it, is a, it is a huge, sprawling film that really tries to do almost too much. But it's still got that big, big 60s feel to it, which I, I just miss these days. 
I'm a lot more fond of uh, Peter Sellers and Peter O'Toole and Romy Schneider in What's New Pussycat, which, yeah. all, right? Woody Allen is in this. Ursula Andress is in this. This is just such a... I mean, how often do you get to see Woody Allen and Peter Sellers in a movie together? Like, I, gotta, I gotta make sure I pick that up. That's fantastic. Let me, let me, let me see that. Let me yeah. see that. Let me see anyway, that. Let me well, see that. Let me see that. Let me see that. Okay. Bert, great Burt Backrack, Hal David music, oh, right? Yeah. I mean, it's a fun film. It's a funny film. Come on. It's got, it's got a lot of great lines. It's, it's got a lot nutty. of great energy. So the Romy Schneider. Yeah. I mean, Peter O'Toole, what a great cast. It's so much fun. fun. Totally wacky. Great swinging 60s music so, so don't and you feel, feel like, to it. Thank God for the Kino Lorber now. They're, they pumped this thing out on I the know. Blu-ray. I mean, I wish there was some extras on it. That'd be nice. Yeah, these things don't have extras. But they don't have extras. These things don't have extras. They, they, I don't think they can afford to put extras on a lot of these things. I think, they just, uh, I, just, they, I think they just recognize that people want the Blu-ray and they put it out. And the last one is the, uh, uh, back to our Stanley Kramer uh, phase here, the great Stanley Kramer film On the Beach, which may be the best film Stanley Kramer ever made, frankly. You know what the problem with that movie is? It's the coolest post-apocalyptic movie ever made. The cool, the, this no. doesn't feel like a post-apocalyptic movie. You know why? Because it's got Fred Astaire driving like a car in front of a green screen, and that just looks terrible. It does. I, I, I totally admit but that But I will say the, this. I will say this. I don't think Stanley Kramer films hold up. I don't. I, I think that they're, they're such obvious message films. Yeah, they are. And some of those messages have we've long since settled. But of them, this is one of the but, better uh, ones. But of the yes. ones that I do like, that would sure. be one of the big ones. Sure. Great script by John Paxton, which kind of is what elevates it based on the, the Neville Shute novel. And, uh, yeah, Fred Astaire is totally out of place in this. But, you know, Gregory Peck, Anthony Perkins, Ava Gardner, they, they're solid. And uh, it, it, is, it, is a, it is literally almost like a sequel to uh, Failsafe in some respects, right? Couldn't you say this? Is I like, love Failsafe. It's yeah, amazing. Like, if, if Failsafe had a sequel, this could almost be that film. Right. You know? Uh, and, uh, yeah, it's the post-apocalyptic movie that doesn't feel like a post-apocalyptic movie. But as a result, it feels a little bit more... You know, real, and it was made in 1959, right? In the sort of the the heat, the heart of the of Cold the Cold War, War sure. really. So I mean, but also a, emotion. This movie hits little tonal beats that his movies usually don't like. There's right. there's weird, like creepy, almost ghostly images when you realize that like yeah. they're all gonna die, and it's just very slow. And True. here comes the radiation. It's like. Not like that Stanley Kramer esque. It's a little bit different for him, right? And there's some there's some effective stuff in there. Yeah, I agree. So here's what I agree, Wade. Bedknobs and Broomsticks is a strange movie. It it is very much so. <laughs> it is. There's no there's no doubt about that. Um, this was from 1971. It was produced by uh, Walt Disney Productions, and uh, you know, it was based on the books. And it's a combination of live action and uh, animation, much like um, Mary Poppins. And you know. Uh, this stars Angela Lansbury, and uh, she's pretty much the only famous person in the um, in the cast. You know what? I, I when I was a kid, I didn't really take to this film that much. This to me seemed to be in that little fallow for me, that little fallow period between like the the Disney films I grew up on and the Disney films in the Golden Age era that started with like you know Lion King and Beauty and the Beast. So this one never really did it for me. Did, did you like Bitknobs and Broomsticks? I'm middling on it. Yeah. It's, it's kind of, it feels like uh, somebody said we need to do Mary Poppins. Uh, we need to find something else to give us that Mary Poppins magic. So they just kind of jumped on this in particular and said to the Shermans, write, uh, quick, write some songs and let's make up some crap and put a bed underwater. And, you know, I think, I think it feels very thrown together to try to be a, another Mary Poppins. And as a result, it, it's a little bit sloppy. 
it feels a little bit already like been there, done that, and that's and, and secondhand, not so good. But uh, it's not bad. It's not unenjoyable. It just feels forced and derivative in, in, in ways that you don't expect Disney films to. Now, this has been out on DVD, if yes. not VHS, many times. Many times. But I will say that if you're gonna if you're gonna pop for this thing, you should really get the Blu-ray. I mean the, that. You know, in the early '70s, that combination of live action and um, and animation was never that clean, yeah, like it would be today. And the Blu-ray doesn't really do much to restore that, which I actually kind of respect. It's sort of it's it, it's a bit respectful to the original elements, flaws and all. Yeah. But still, it's got some decent uh, special features, and it is as good as it's ever looked. There's no doubt about it. I, I, I just think it's a little bit of a, as Waits as a middling film in the Disney uh, yeah. canon. Uh, we also have on Blu-ray uh, from Disney, The Three Musketeers. This is uh, The Three Musketeers featuring Mickey, Donald, and Goofy. Oh, Come on, Mickey, Donald, and Goofy. Um, you know, it's only 68 minutes, which I kind of liked about it. I hadn't seen this in a long, long time, but um, it's cute. It's cute. And I have to say that Disney is finally starting to and needs to resurrect the Mickey Mouse brand. I feel like Mickey Mouse is such an iconic, wonderful, fantastic character that the only thing Disney really does with it, I mean, obviously this, this one came out only 10 years ago, but uh, so it's relatively new, but I feel like Disney has to like reinvigorate no, they do. Mickey Mouse. I mean, Mickey's do. like an icon. Yeah. And the thing is, when you think of Mickey Mouse, all you really think about are either, is either the really old movies or the merchandising. True. You know, you don't really think about like new Mickey Mouse product, no. movies, shorts. You know, there was a why not a, a series of great Mickey Mouse shorts? I don't think anybody there. It, it's not a priority for them. And I don't think anybody really wants to to resurrect that institutional memory because I don't think they know how. Bob, I, Bob Iger's not that guy. Bob Iger's not that guy. It's about Star Wars and Marvel. I think to him, you know, his job is Disney stock price and to certainly protect the brand of the old Disney stuff, but not necessarily to, to sort of be Walt Disney. Bob Iger is not going to walk around Disneyland and smile and shake people's hands. He's not that guy. Right. So it's too bad because they need that. You know, Eisner understood that that was his job. And I think they need somebody, again, who, who can do that because otherwise the brand will suffer. Well, I, well, put it this way. I, Eisner protected the brand and, and Iger protects the stock. There you go. That's true. That's a good way of putting it. Uh, last three titles before we, we exit. Uh, you know, I've been harassing 20th Century Fox for a while because they handle the, the MGM stuff, and uh, they've been not serving their libraries very well, and uh, there are a lot of films there that they just aren't paying attention to, and they just kind of shoot them out on Blu-ray and don't pay attention to them. So uh, I insisted that they get some of these to us. One of them is Weekend at Bernie's, which has been out for a while on Blu-ray. Nobody seemed to know that. Directed by Ted Kotcheff, who had a bit of a career before yeah, he went into television. Yeah, Uncommon Valor. I like that Well, he movie. went into television, became a TV guy with, you know, Law and & Order and that kind of stuff. But uh, Weekend at Bernie's, he did Uncommon Valor. He did, the fir- he did First Blood, started the Rambo franchise. Yeah. And uh, Weekend at Bernie's is still a lot of fun. It's a silly film, but, you know, uh, Andrew McCarthy and Jonathan Silverman uh, do a fantastic job, as does... Uh, uh, What's-his-face who plays Bernie? Uh, um... You know what is uh, Ken, uh, uh, Terry Kaiser. Terry, yeah, exactly. So uh, you know, really, I mean, a much better performance from uh, for a guy who, frankly, just plays a dead guy the whole movie. It's still very funny. Also, his bachelor. No, he, he still traffics off that movie. He makes appearances oh, based on that movie. I know. They actually had in uh, one of the baseball teams. Might where, where that movie takes place? Cleveland or something? Something like that. Whatever town the movie takes place, and they actually had a, a Bernie's night. I know. Where Terry Kaiser showed wow. up and everybody applauded, and they did the Bernie's dance or whatever the hell they do in that well, movie. 
And then we also have Tom Hanks and Adrian Zmed uh, in Bachelor Party, which uh, sort of started the raunch comedy thing. And you know what? I, I used to think this movie was just crap because it's directed by Neil Israel, who, who sort of was... Remember, he started taking over for uh, the Zuckers and Jim Abrams and making all of those Naked Gun movies and their sequels. They're funny. And he, he became How dare the, you? He became the go-to guy to do all that stuff, kind yeah. of secondhand. And I used to think this was just a crap movie. You know, he wrote this with Pat Proft, and they were all very, very, like, lowbrow at the time. But frankly, you look at the R-rated comedies today, this, like, totally beats them hands down. Darn right. I mean, it really was. It was a much more daring film then than a lot of this stuff is now. Like, The Hangover doesn't, Hangover doesn't really hold a candle to Bachelor Party, not in any sense. So I look at this, and I'm like, you know what? Tom Hanks, not so much to be ashamed of, really. Uh, this was kind of a groundbreaking film at a time when we didn't realize it. And then lastly, uh, this has been out for some months in a Blu-ray DVD combo set. Nobody knows about it. I wanted to get it because I wanted to see if it did the film justice. It does. It's not as, as first-rate on the Blu-ray as I wish it were. But Sunrise, the, uh, Mer- the Murnau classic from 1927 which was sort of the co-Best Picture winner the year that Wings won. Wings won Best Picture in that first Academy Award. But Sunrise, also a silent film, won the Great Artistic Achievement Award of that year, whatever that means. So a lot of people look at this as kind of a co-Best Picture winner uh, for the 1927-28 Academy Awards, and uh, it's still a magnificent film. Uh, It's really extraordinary. It's it's sort of a semi-silent film, uh, you'll see what I mean when you, when you get it, but you definitely want to want to get Sunrise. It, it belongs on every single shelf. Uh, Georgia Bryan and Janet Gaynor in this amazing movie about kind of a really tragic relationship that's just one of the great artistic achievements of the entire uh, late sound, early, uh, late silent, early sound uh, period. Carl Mayer wrote the screenplay. Um, it's just a magnificent movie, absolutely magnificent. Janet Gaynor will break your heart. And the acting is interesting because it's still very much silent film acting, but it, you can see the transition in the style of the acting, the way the actors are staged, that we are moving now into the sound era. It's more ambitious. It's a little bit like, uh, like uh, King Vidor's The Big Parade. It's very much a transitional film from silent to sound. So, The Amazing Sunrise, one of the most beautiful black and white photography ever. Uh, I'd like to see a special edition of this someday. I would love for them to let Criterion go nuts on this. It deserves it. Uh, but that said, there are some decent extras on here, and uh, they, you know, there's a commentary by John Bailey, the cinematographer, the great cinematographer. Uh, some outtakes where he does commentary as well, and uh, the original Carl Mayer's screenplay is uh, is here as well. So there are some, uh, you know, few, there's some interesting extras, but really they uh, they need to do a, a much bigger and splashier special edition release and to do this film the real justice. So with that, Mark, we are done. We're done? We're done. We'll see you guys next week.